Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Counter. I'm Christine DeVita, and from across the Hudson River is my longtime friend and business partner, Keith Hancock. Today's episode, Frost and Foilage. Keith and I talk about their restaurant revitalization fund, Chili's to Go restaurants, Ghost Kitchen, and early brands franchising and investing. Christine, we're back. Nice mug. I love that color. Oh, thank you. It's a Dunkin' Donuts hat. Yeah, yeah, cool. I think Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, they're coming out with some sweet, sweet mugs these days. I just bought a cool one. Um, can last me the whole day. You know, I'm a coffee addict, and today yes. I just randomly get in the mail a behind-the-counter mug that I thought you had sent me. The, the official defeat hit. and I'm still not quite sure where this one random behind-the-counter mug came from. So maybe it, it was it a ha- gift from a listener. I, I think it has to be from Vista Print. <laughs> Must be. I'm going to have to check. Well, here's the shady thing. I forgot to tell you before we got on. The return address was ripped off. Not that the question, did it come in a box? Yeah, one individual box. Because when we buy mugs for the business, they, we would buy them in clips of, you know, 25, 50. Yeah. Maybe Maybe it's a free sample. Out in Jersey that was like, here's your mug back. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But whatever. But anyway, so I got a cool behind-the-counter mug. It's great to be on. Great to talk to everybody. Yeah. Um, some good current events to dive into. Glad to be here. One thing that I was going through when I was looking through the news and seeing what's going on in our industry, and it was Restaurant Revitalization Fund. Do you remember that? Yes. Um, the That's remaining $180 million. That was, we actually talked about this last year. Yeah, last year. There's so many episodes that we've been doing. I honestly can't even keep track of them anymore. But Yeah, yeah this- and how President Biden, um, the restaurant owners in New York City, I think it especially hit New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Right. were worried about, you know, the revitalization fund and what the government was going to do to back that up and mm-hmm. make it happen. And uh, I remember I said, I don't put too much into what Biden is going to do for the industry, but I'm willing to sit back and watch. So, Yeah, there's still a lot of news out there. Not, nothing I read too deeply to dig into about how, although things are going really well and things are picking up, how much recovery we still have as far as what our industry goes from COVID. And I don't know how much, you know, the president or any government is going to really sink back into us. I think there was a lot of talk back in the day uh, when things were going on, but we really, we got hit the hardest and probably the least bailed out. Yes. Because whatever bailout we got is number one, it's compensating for the extra labor costs and the extra food costs and all the other expenditures that have to come. Mm-hmm. So it's, there was there really hasn't been a lot of rebound time, and you know, even though sales are up, like I said, there's just there's just lost money that we're not going to get back, and um, no one really seems to care. There's there's only so high we can raise a price, you know, especially if you're a casual restaurant. There's only so much money someone's going to pay for buffalo wings to absorb the cost of the fuel and the product and all that stuff. So, you know, reading through this article, um, the Small Business Association has yet to distribute the remaining of 180 million, sorry, I said billion, 
which accounts for less than 1% of the 41.2 billion requested for approval, but unfunded, I'm sorry, requested by approved, but unfunded restaurant operators. Overall, the SBA told NRN that the government agency is planning for additional distribution and that the restaurants would not have to reapply to be considered for the remaining funds. Instead, they will be dispersed on a first applied, first served basis. BS. I call BS. Here's why. It shouldn't be handed out as a first come, first served basis. It sh- they should review each business, mm-hmm. right, and hand yeah. it out accordingly. You know, there Am I wrong? Are, I don't think that you're wrong at all. Um, there has been so much looting of so much COVID relief funding um, at so many different levels that we could do an entire season off of it, and it would stem off of or it would not even be in our industry, you know? Um, and I don't, I don't see the government going after any of those things. I was, but that's kind of going off on a tangent, but back to that. Um, behind the counter is certainly going to follow up and we're going to make sure to keep reporting as to where this money goes. Cause I'm very interested to see if this really gets kicked back. And when you really think about 180 million, sounds like a lot of money, but it's not, it's, it's not a lot of money comparatively to how many restaurants still need to recoup funds that they have lost first um where they're at today it's really a it's really a it's a drop in the hat for the government but we'll see we'll see where this money goes because money tends to disappear so moving right along from that um still stemming off of covid and where we're at what is your thoughts on these full service chains that are going into quick serve models chili's opened up a to-go restaurant Hooters did it. I think it's called Hoots. I don't know if there's how far off the ground it got, but I remember that they were launching that during COVID. I remember, I think we might have even talked about it out here back in the day. Um, A new Chili's concept is opening up on Mockingbird Lane Lane in Dallas. The restaurant Ah, right by where my brother lives. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm looking at the map right now. You can go there and you can get, you know, your baby back wings, I guess, counter style. Um, it's a reduced menu. It's a smaller floor pan than other locations. You know what I'd imagine it kind of sounds like? You ever go to a Chili's 2 TOO in an airport or something? Yes, that's exactly what it is. And you know why yeah. they're doing this, right? Because they realized during COVID that that type of model works. So why not reduce their overhead, right? So... People are more inclined now out of habit over the last two years, 2020 and 2021, of just eating home. Right. And everything was all to go, all third-party delivery, DoorDash, Uber Eats, whatever else, right? right? So now these companies are like, well, if that worked and we stayed afloat and we made money, why not reduce the floor plan, cut back on the overhead with regards to rent and utilities and labor is a, probably a big factor into that as well, mm-hmm. right? And go ahead and scale back and do the uh, the to-go menu. You know, it's probably even smaller than a Chili's too, which I actually have recollection of getting bombed at once like 10 years ago, waiting for a delayed plane. It's actually a good time over there at Chili's too. But this was taken over. They took over a Starbucks. So that's a very small space. So when you're down that- there... I'll be honest with you, that Starbucks isn't that small, but I know what you're saying. It's like a, it would be like the quarter of the size of, of a normal Chili's layout. Yeah, for sure. So, 
interesting stuff. Uh, what is still going to stem off and just kind of what's going to track and what will remain on COVID and how brands will evolve. Chili's has been struggling for a little while on and off. They kind of like lost their way a little bit. So maybe this will be the next thing for them. You know, um, Chili's is a, you know, Chili's, Applebee's and TGI Fridays. And you know, because you work for Applebee's and I work for TGI Fridays. Those brands were booming back in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. Early 2000s. Now that you have more of these health conscious brands coming on board and expanding, right? Right. These your traditional fast casual or casual themed dining right. is not as popular as it used to be. Right. So one of the Applebee's, it's funny you say that, and this wasn't on our list, but the, one of the ones that I ran in Times Square, they're closing because uh, they haven't paid their rent actually since 2019. I was reading an article the other day, it was the New York Post. And of course, I immediately reached out to people that I know to see what's going on. And, you know, they said that they're looking for another space. But, I mean, that doesn't add up. In the article that I read, there was they had cash flow problems in 2019. There's ways to back out of rent and not pay it, you know, and they could, they could relocate. That'll take some fancy financial and business footwork to get there. But another, again, COVID really buried them, too. Yeah, not saying this so much to really knock the franchise, but I'm saying it more along the lines of like, there's a prime example of not rebounding. Times Square shut down for how long during COVID? I right? guess about a year. Times Square yeah. was shut down for a long time. They yeah. were they were slower to open than even other things were because people still weren't coming back. Yep. So they needed the tourism and all that stuff. And some of yep. them, like I, th I believe it was Carmine's refused to open immediately because of the, the really strict guidelines that they had initially. Right. It just wasn't worth their time. Although I well, think the one they were on upper, uh, upper West side was doing takeout. Yeah. I mean, well, listen, there's no excuse why Applebee's didn't pay their rent in 2019, but 2020, 2021, I could see it, yep. but you know, there's that restaurant revitalization fund. Funny thing. So I, I know the CEO of Carmine's and, Another brand, because you know they own that barbecue thing in Times Square. Not Dallas. The other one. There's another one there. Famous Dave's? No, it's another one in Times Square. Um, it's under the a la carte restaurant group. So when the Carmine's in Upper West Side was losing money due to COVID, they slapped a mini version of that at the Carmine's in Upper West Side. And now when you go there, there's a storefront, and they're doing Italian and ribs out of it. Really? Yeah. Um let me look that up. What is the name of that restaurant? That Alice Barbecue? No. Uh, it's a really, really good Oh, here it is. Chain. A la carte restaurant group. Virgil's. Carmine's. Virgil's. Virgil's yeah. Real Barbecue. So they put a mini Virgil's in the Carmine's on the Upper West Side. And they thought it would be temporary due to COVID, but they left right. it there. And now they're, they're doing takeout out of there as well. Exactly. So it's very interesting. Um Listen, you know what it is? All these takeout places, right? All of these big brands minimizing their footprint or their, their, their floor plan, ghost kitchens. Do it. Ghost kitchens. Ghost kitchens. Talk a lot about them. Go grab a 5,000 square foot uh, space underneath some office building and just run your delivery drivers back and forth and hop on, you know, the Uber Eats, Grubhub, DoorDash, whatever else is out there, and that's all you do. That's it. Realistically, all you have to pay for is what, right? 
you're paying a percentage of your of your contract with the third party delivery, okay, right. for the delivery drivers, right. and they just handle that, right? You're not right. paying workman's comp, you're not paying any of that other crazy overhead for labor. That right. whole labor piece just goes away, right? right? All you have now is your kitchen and your right. cooks, two managers, maybe three, depending on how late you stay open. Absolutely. Are you quoting? Are you talking about that article? There was recently a Nation's Restaurant News. You must have caught it. The yes. future is ghost kitchens. Yep. Um, yep. It absolutely is. It's it's not the future of the only way to dine, but it certainly carved the way for a new segment of what we do. And Listen, when you and I worked in Manhattan, ghost kitchens were just emerging back in the day when we were both in Manhattan together. The Summit Group, right? Isn't that what that was? The Green Summit Group. I the think Green Summit Group. They they yeah. were the ones to try that very early on. Because if you remember, they were trying to recruit everybody. I think it and died Lucy, out. He did well. He did oh, well because I went to go work for him. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. He did. did yeah, you... it was. I didn't work for him. I, I interviewed with him, and him and I had constant conversations. And he was a referral uh, from my friend Sal who I met okay. while we were building out restaurants in Manhattan. He's a, uh, an electrician, right? Okay. So he had, he had done the introduction between uh, myself and the Green Summit. I forgot the guy's name. I'm going to say it's Dan or Dave or something like mm. that. But he's overseas now. But let me tell you something. He had a great business model. They were making money cash hand over fist. I mean, they were very organized. Um, they had a great group of people working for them. But you know, whatever happened, happened, but he had a really, really great business. And that was the first I've ever heard or seen of a ghost kitchen. And let me tell you something, that layout was incredible. It was like a food court without people walking into it, right? They had about maybe five or six concepts in there. And that one, I think it was four or 5,000 square feet. Right. And each concept had their own kitchen line and it was just lined up. That was it. It was just five kitchen lines. Mm-hmm. And they all set up based on whatever that menu was. And they operated like five different menus. Wow. That's crazy. Right? It was great. I was like, this is awesome. Were you going to be their operations director? Yeah. Funny. Yep. Good stuff. The only caveats where ghost kitchens, I think, are limited is depending on the market. I don't yeah. see it. A ghost kitchen, I don't see working in a beach resort type setting or even the suburbs so much. I don't or, see it out in Long Island. I see it yeah. in big cities. New big York, cities. LA, Dallas, it's Vegas. A big city driver and it's not going away. It was Chicago, like the perfect yeah. it was the perfect storm of how the younger generation eats and then COVID to really catapult that into the next thing. And now yeah. they're, they're gonna be here forever. So a lot of our news articles tonight, we've been talking a lot about opening things and, and emerging and things like that. So get to the main course of our show, early brand franchise and investing. Yeah, I've thought of you when we were coming up with this content a lot because you've launched a lot of brands in New York. Yeah. You know, you so you certainly know what it's like to have to build something and um, from the ground up and finding that right concept and We've both seen it. Some concepts work, some concepts doesn't. I think we talked about not that long ago. One that I loved that disappeared was Pie Face. <gasps> I Damn, remember I Pie Face. Pie Face was good. Yeah. There was like there was twenty of them, and then there was none of them. And that's yep. 
And that's just based off of the New York City market, but that's how it can go. You know, tonight going into the main course of our show, talking about franchise and investing and how to do that and how to find the right brand and what you want to get into and if you want to do it. Um, the first thing I would urge anybody who's thinking about potentially buying a franchise, the same thing I would urge the same person who would be thinking about owning their own private restaurant. Yep. And I think of a hot pot guy, Christine and I, viewers, we had a gentleman who reached out to us when we first started consulting, who wanted to open oh. up a hot pot restaurant. Yes, and he was I the remember. nicest guy and he came into some money or something or saved a lot of money. I think he was a pharmacist. We talked about yes. going into the restaurant business. He was a CVS pharmacist. That's yes. what he was, a pharmacist and saved CBS, his money. And he had his life and, yeah. saving. And I'm just going to put a plug in for the fact of how great of people we are. Not really. We can't walk on water. But we could have really taken that guy to the – we could have screwed him and drained his I money. I wouldn't even say screwed him. We could have just taken his money and said, yeah, we could do the job. But the problem with him was – was that he wanted a guarantee that it was going to work and he was going to make money out of the gate. And I remember right. after he said that to me, you and I had gotten on the phone and I said, there is no way we should take this guy's money because he yeah. wants a guarantee that no one should give him as a consultant. Is that Somebody we're going to make it work? And that was, let me tell you something. You're talking about a couple of hundred thousand that he was willing to lay out. Mm-hmm. And consulting fees, I mean, and it was, and recruiting fees, and it was just, it was crazy, the amount of money that he wanted to put into it. But what he didn't understand, and this is where a lot of people who are not in industry that want to open up restaurants and think it's an easy thing to do, he thought mm -hmm. he was just going to unlock the door and open it up and walk away right. and just let it run itself. And it's like, no, you're married to this business for the first two to three years. You're here every single day. And if you don't have enough money in the bank to support this business for three years, you're mm -hmm. going to shut your doors. Absolutely. And the biggest thing with this guy is, uh, well, with him was he had the right idea. There's hot pot restaurants opening up all over the place. Yep. And this was like five years ago, whatever it was. And Nobody really had heard of hot pot restaurants yet. Now there's like three, there's a multi-unit brand right by my house that someone's trying to start them. Right. But the only consulting we gave the guy was don't hire a consultant that's giving you a guarantee because he's going to screw you. Seriously. I remember it. And you know what? I, I felt bad for him because he had a lot of passion. He, he didn't, you know what I remember? He didn't even have a menu. He no, wanted he us to create the menu for him. He literally said, here's my idea. Make it happen. Right. And we could do that. Right. We could have. Because, you know, we have the knowledge of doing that. But at the end of the day, he didn't want to be there. He wanted no responsibility of that place. He just wanted to be the guy to unlock the door. Here's a check. Make it happen and make it work. And that's it. And it yeah, doesn't which, happen like that. Which and never happens. You don't realize that. So going into franchising, um, don't, franchises can be as much of a scam as that can be. So yeah. number one, if you're going to go into a franchise, no, it's not going to be easy. No, there's no guarantee, no matter how much they tell you off of whatever their average unit sales are, they'll, they'll, they'll throw figures at you. You want to get into the right brand early. That's a good way to start out and get the ground floor. Um, once you find the right brand or what you feel is the right brand, you still want to have a time of courting with them. Go visit their corporate office, see what they're about, see what their existing stores look like, um, how, how their restaurants operate. Get to know the people 
who are in their corporate office that you'll that should be a good liaison fostering a good relationship with you. Um, decide if the brand is worth it. Does it have brand recognition? I worked for a company once who tried to become like the next Fridays and they've franchised to one or two people and I helped them open one and, you know, we did some work. And in my mind, I was like, I was a young, I was probably in my mid twenties. I used to think, why are people paying this guy royalties to use his name? And it doesn't really buy a name. It's not like Dunkin' Donuts, you know? Yeah. So don't fall into that trap because if you get into a smaller franchise and they don't have their stuff together, they're not going to be able to provide the support of things that you would need in order to operate that business. So you're going to want to know what type of purchasing agreements they have on a, on a more broader scale. You're going to want to know um, what type of training support are they going to provide to help you own the units. You're going to want to know what type of constant marketing will they be providing for you. What direction are they taking the menu? Applebee's mm -hmm. is a great example of a franchise taking their franchisees through the ringer. When, I don't know if you remember, three or four years ago, they started slapping in, actually it was longer than that, because I was still there, uh, wood-burning ovens, no, wood-burning grills. They I went remember to butchering their own steaks. I was and there the for that. Uh, the corporations forced the franchisees to put in wood burning grills. And that is not an easy thing to do because not only do you have to buy new grills, you also have to redo your entire ventilation system in order to accommodate a wood burning. Yep. So that's an example. So you want to know the direction of where they're taking the med because you want to get a franchise that has low overhead. Like if I was going to franchise a restaurant, I would want it to be quick serve and I would want it to be salads and almost like a prep. Give me something where I'm not buying stoves and ovens and fryers and all that other stuff. You know, how fast can I get my ROI back on that investment? That's where my head would be at. Yeah. Not how big and how badass can it be? And I'm going to have to take three to four years to pay off my initial investment. Two years max. So if you're going into a franchise, I'm going to start seeing a return on that investment. Two, maybe three years at the most. Don't ever franchise a single unit franchise. Um, there's a couple of that I laugh that aren't not pertaining to the restaurant world, but have some money and you're going to want to go into something that's a multi-unit thing, something yep. you can stem off of. That's why a lot of franchise groups own multiple concepts. They'll start with the donuts, they'll agree to open up eight of them, then they go into something else and something else. You know, you can't have all your eggs in one basket. Um, make sure that... Sorry, I, let's go, going back to the single unit franchise, like someone who franchises a cartridge world. I look at that and I'm like, what are you really getting? It's almost like you buy yourself a job. You know what I mean? Or people that like franchise a cleaning service name, maids for hire or one of those things. Uh, like, why would you, I, I just don't understand. Make sure that it's going to be something that's right for you. Right. And is having a private investor right for your company as well. You know, think of, we're going to look at the funding. Um, it really depends. There's pros and cons to having a private investor, right? Pro, it's not a loan. Right. So you got to get lawyers involved and understand, make sure that there's ironclad agreements between you and that person so that they can't come after you personally and make sure that they know that they're going to have to take the fall. Um, but 
on the flip side of that, they're going they're going to want to know when they're you're going to be cutting them their dividends for the profits coming in. Um, the con it, it dilutes your share of the earnings, which I which I just mentioned. Um, the stakes are higher when you have investors or you have multiple investors because that's multiple people breathing down your back. Yep. A lot of times investors invest into particularly restaurants that they don't know anything about the business. And it's literally, and it's as if I bought stock in Pfizer tomorrow. That doesn't mean that I manufacture prescription drugs. It's the same type yep. of thing. It's exactly um, what it is. Pro, you don't need a proven credit history. I know someone that opened up a franchise who had terrible credit and filed bankruptcy off of other people's money and was able to pull it off. Well, you know, even if you own the majority of it, there's certain things that can get involved where lawyers can, you can disprove negligence off of somebody or things like that, uh, which I was reading about. And one last pro is it gives you access to the investor's expertise. And that's the thing that you can't quantify in dollars. So if you are a restaurant person and by trade, we are not necessarily business people. I mean, we are, but that's, there's a name for us. We're called restaurant tours because it's a different type of entrepreneur that goes into the restaurant business. Sometimes you need a regular entrepreneur to help steer you in the right way. So if I was getting, going to go into a situation and look for investors, I would also want to look for what type of other resources are they going to provide that goes beyond the walls of monetary and what scope can they bring to us? And lastly, if you are going to invest or open a restaurant or buy a franchise, give us a call. We can help you out. That's it. We are experts in the field. So with that, Christine, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I think I'm it's doing about... good. We had, a, we had a pretty powerful last two weeks, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Plugging along. So, yeah. I wanted to give a shout out to our friends over at Hospitality News Magazine. Yes, yes. Hospitality News Magazine, great magazine. They just rebranded themselves. We uh, wrote two articles for them. We did a, um, a video interview with them. Mm-hmm. Just amazing people. They have such a great uh, concept for their magazine. Uh, it's digital, mm-hmm. and it's they're very passionate, and they're just probably the most amazing people to work with. And actually, um, this is going to be the second episode that, we are going uh, to highlight them at the end. So cool. yeah, they're really good. They're only digital now. They're not doing the paperback anymore. I believe they're all digital now. Yeah, I mean, Got it. you've seen the the overhaul that they did with their uh, website. Oh, yeah. It just looks it's, amazing. It's Absolutely beautiful. looks amazing. It beats out all of the other uh, hospitality industry magazines with their layout and their content. So they're going to shout be out to them and the great job that they put in to uh to all that new stuff that they have going on so they're gonna be big they definitely are with that let's put a bow on it tonight it's been great spending time great talking everybody hope we brought you some great advice if you're thinking about franchising um as always you know we'll be able to bring you the best advice and best news here at behind the counter thank you all for listening have a great night guys see you next episode Hospitality News Media is an association advocate that looks to build long-term partnerships with a personal touch, helping your hospitality business grow and connect through our associations and network-driven array of digital and print media platforms. Our passionate team looks to build brands, promote products, and highlight those industry leaders focusing on hospitality, food service, and the beverage industry. 
then partnering with our clients to help fit into their budgets and bring them exposure. Hospitality News, bringing the industry together.